Well, welcome again to Grit and Gladness. My name is Brooks, and I am here with my wife, Laura. Hello. And we um, long to encourage you in being a happy warrior in your corner of the kingdom, um, in living in light of the current reign of Jesus Christ, living in light of the expansion of his kingdom that he will accomplish, and he'll even use us to do it. And so um, we want to be encouraged in that, and we want to encourage you to that end. Um, and it's been a minute, um, but Laura and I have had some really rarefied air this past weekend as we have gotten away to go to the Grace Agenda in Moscow, Idaho. And so we are looking forward to just reflecting on that for a little bit. This is really an impromptu um, time for us to talk, um, but we had the space um, this morning. Uh, so we'll get to that, but first we wanted to start with sharing uh, a commonplace quote from books that we are currently uh, reading. So why don't you kick us off, Laura? Yeah, so I am um, still kind of plodding through uh, the book Susie by Ray Rhodes Jr. It is an absolute delight. I have gotten to a slow crawl place with it simply because I don't want to read about um, Spurgeon's death. And I know that's where I'm headed very rapidly. So yeah, and, and Susie is his wife. That's so. right. <laughs> it's a, it's about the life of Susanna Spurgeon, the wife of Charles Spurgeon. And so um, I was really struck with this passage and uh, actually shared it with you Brooks on the airplane and just want to read it for the ladies out there. Um, I, it helps me to think through what kind of um, godly wife or how godly wives face adversity. And I just thought this was beautiful the way he wrote this. Um, so this is about a scenario that Susanna and Charles Spurgeon uh, went through. And I'll just read through it real quick. It just says, Though his trips to the coast strengthened him for work, he would sometimes um, retreat to um, France to get respite from the London fog. He called it Gog, Magog, and Fog. (laughs) (laughs) I heard that. That's great. So Susie suffered back at home. And although he rested at Mintone, the theological battle was never far from Charles's mind as, as his letters to Susie revealed. For years, a generous benefactor had supported his ministry financially. Let me pause right here and just say, for those of you that don't know, at some point in Spurgeon's life, he got embroiled in a in a controversy called the downgrade controversy, where he was trying to protect the um, inerrancy and authority of Scripture within his denomination, and it was a really bloody battle. And mm, he was yeah. very wounded yeah. by how bloody that battle got. So this is an interaction between him and a benefactor about that that saw that controversy differently. So it says, for years, a generous benefactor had supported Charles' ministry financially. However, the controversy found his benevolent friend on the other side of that argument. The benefactor withdrew his support due to a failure of friendship and sympathy. And that's in quotes. And he went to, and he sent a letter um, letting Charles know that. The, first, the letter first arrived at Westwood at their home, and Susie opened it. And here's what she says. She's writing this to Charles. At once I took the letter and I spread it before the Lord, pleading, as Hezekiah did, that he would hear and see the words written therein. And he gave me so strong a confidence in his overruling and delivering power that as I knelt in his presence and told him how completely I trusted him on my husband's behalf, 
The words of petition ceased from my lips, and I absolutely laughed out loud. (laughs) So little did I fear what man could do, and so blessedly reliant did he make me on his own love and omnipotence. So then the author goes on to say, The withdrawal of the financial support might have cast a less spiritually minded woman into a sea of despair. But Susie responded in prayer and reliance upon God. She even laughed in the face of trouble. Rapidly, she mailed a letter to Charles in Mentone and told him of the loss of the financial support and of her laughter in the face of trouble. And he wrote back to her, I laugh with you. The Lord will not fail us nor forsake us. You are as an angel of God unto me. Bravest of women, strong in faith, you have ministered unto me indeed and of, and of a truth. God bless thee out of the seventh heavens. Susie viewed the event as a testing in which God found that his, his, um, that his Charles's faith, did not fail. God supplied the financial need through a woman who, not knowing about the situation, felt compelled to deliver money to Charles. So he wrote to Susie and said, What a dear soul you are. How I love you. Our inward and spiritual union has come out in this trial and deliverance. We will record all of this to the glory of the Lord our God. Charles's letter to his wife of over 30 years conveys the depth of their relationship as a spiritual union, revealing how their trials called forth from within them the employment of spiritual means. Charles did not ignore the pain that the downgrade controversy had caused him, but he saw the hand of his faithful God in the midst of it all. Mm. He said to Susie, and this is in quotes and I love it, send a check to the bank, sing the doxology, keep all my love, and rest under the blessing of the Lord our God. (laughs) And when I read that, I just thought, Lord, may it be in my life as it was in Susanna Spurgeon's. Yeah. I love that. Um, first, I'm just struck by how rich their interactions are. Like, we we need to talk like this again. <laughs> I love how he says, God, what do you say? God bless you from the seventh heaven. Yeah, like, right. even in interacting with his wife, he's creative. He's just seeking to edify her. And and then I, um, I'm just so struck with their faith. I mean, I, I feel weak in the knees for them, hearing that their main benefactor has withdrawn support. And how Susie just was able to laugh at the days to come. Um, and Charles saying, I, I laugh with you. And I'm just amazed by their faith. I remember somewhere else, too, him talking about the downgrade controversy. And this is a paraphrase. But Spurgeon said, um, the dogs may eat my body for the next 50 years, but the later generations will vindicate me. And amen. Hasn't that been <laughs> and true? it's been so true. And he was just wonderfully self-forgetful. Like, I want to pour myself out. Um, but what a cool glimpse into their into their relationship. Yeah, and I want to pick up on something too there. I love that she had the faith and biblical wisdom to take the letter and physically spread it out and pray over it. And um, I just think that we need to be mindful that God honors that posturing. Just we can take you know, things that are scary and lay them before the Lord literally and pray over them and just watch how God lifted her head, her spirits. Um, it reminds me of that Psalm 34 that we read this morning mm-hmm. about how God lifts those that are crushed in spirit and that um, the part about how the righteous, um, that they're redeemed from every affliction there at the end of Psalm 34. I don't have it in front of me, but 
anyway, God is the lifter of our head, and He will be faithful even when what we are what we are looking at looks seemingly like a calamity. Right, right. Um, and I, I love that too, to, to go cash the check and sing the doxology. Um, I just love that, and I love that we are recovering um, in, in our time the, the singing of the doxology, something that Christians have always done for hundreds of years, um, and how he even discipled her or encouraged her to um, sing. I mean, that's we God gave us song mm-hmm. as a way to express our thanksgiving, and it is good and right for Christians to sing often the doxology a song of praise to God. So beautiful. Well, thank you for indulging that. No, I, I just love was it. so encouraged. Yeah. So that's Susie Reed. Good biography. Mm-hmm. Um, so strengthening and encouraging. Um, so I am currently in the Lord of the Rings again. Um, uh, this is my next attempt to go through it. I've never made it all the way through, but I, I am, I am committed. I'm going to make it happen this time. And my commonplace quote comes from um, Rivendell. So um, Frodo has been asleep for a couple of days after a near miss with these black riders. And he awakens in Rivendell and um, he is bidden to, to come um, sit at the table with some of the great folk in the, in the land. And what struck me was Tolkien's description of the dignity of the um, characters around the table. And I, I was just taken aback. Um, I'll, I'll just read it and then... And this is where the elves are? So yeah, so Rivendell is the elf's land. It's the hell, house of Elrond, who is the, the lord of, of that land. And so Elrond is the head elf. Um, Gandalf, of course, is the wizard. And Glorfindel is another elf. So that's who, who we're seeing. And, and Frodo is going to get a seat at this table um, which has its own beautiful commentary of how the Lord uses what's foolish and small to do great things. Mm-hmm. But. So it says, um, Frodo looked at them in wonder. So he had just come to the table. For he had never before seen Elrond, of whom so many tales spoke. And as they sat upon his right hand and his left, Glorfindel and even Gandalf, whom he thought he knew so well, were revealed as lords of dignity and power. Gandalf was shorter in stature than the other two, but his long white hair, his sweeping silver beard, and his broad shoulders made him look like some wise king of ancient legend. In his aged face under great snowy brows, his dark eyes were set like coals that could leap suddenly into a fire. Glorfindel was tall and straight, His hair was of shining gold, his face fair and young and fearless and full of joy. His eyes were bright and keen, and his voice like music. On his brow sat wisdom, and in his hand was strength. The face of Elrond was ageless, neither old nor young, though in it was written the memory of many things both glad and sorrowful. His hair was dark as the shadows of twilight, and upon it was set a circlet of silver. His eyes were gray as a clear evening, and in them was a light like the light of stars. Venerable he seemed as a king crowned with many winters, and yet hale as a tried warrior. In the fullness of strength, he was the Lord of Rivendell, and mighty among both elves and men. And I... I think what struck me so much is 
something that we need to recover in our time is the concept of dignity and nobility and, and virtue. And so many things in our culture are working against that to, to, to sap us of these things. I mean, even as you walk around in public, there is so much vacancy in people's eyes that it is just disturbing. Um, and how here he, uh, I love that, that quote, his eyes were bright and keen mm-hmm. and how he was fearless and full of joy. He, he, he was a, he was a happy warrior. Um, and how this is what I long for our sons and, and, and our daughters to know what they're about, to understand the glory of masculinity, the glory of femininity. And Tolkien does such a brilliant job of showing those peculiar glories in the masculine and feminine characters. And I, I think I was just struck again. I, I, I want to shoot for that. I want to speak that over our children. I, I want to feed their souls with things that make them alive to, to the glory of God everywhere and the glory of God in and through them, where there's a, a brightness and a keenness and a fearlessness. Um, our culture is so obsessed with focusing on our weaknesses and on our vulnerabilities um, that we almost shy away from calling people to dignity and nobility and strength and virtue. Um, and I just love how how Tolkien articulates Mm -hmm. that and how Frodo was just, when he was in the presence of nobility, um, was struck by it and then realized that him, this little hobbit had a a seat at that table Mm -hmm. because they had spoken over him. There's something more in Frodo than you would ever expect. And how all of us really do have a peculiar glory that God has given us where if we will embrace that, we can do powerful things for, for the kingdom of God. Um, so yeah, I just thought that was brilliant. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. yeah. And how we, it's almost like when we read in the old Testament about them <clears throat> stripping away the fortunes of God's people and hollowing out that, what a treasure trove or a trust that was. And that's what we're doing to humanity is just hollowing out the dignifying parts of it. Right. And, um, and then yet make trying to make so much of ourselves and it's like, well, you can't do both, you know, you're puffing up a piece of fluff at that point and Mm -hmm. you've hollowed out everything that dignifies a human person. Um, well, and, and, and that's why this, this current gender insanity really is a satanic attack on our culture, on our world so that people have no idea why they exist. Right. Because at, at, at the core of dignity and nobility and keenness of eye is understanding why you exist as a man, why you exist as a woman. That's a starting point um, to then glorify God with confidence in who you are and why you exist. And Yeah, and there's probably never been so much confusion about that, but then such a clamorous attempt to... I exist, acknowledge me, affirm right. me, you know, just right. this. Celebrate who I right. am, but I don't even know why I exist. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, read Tolkien, read Lord of the Rings. Okay. Um, well, as I said, we've gotten away for the past weekend, and it has been an incredibly enriching time. Our hearts are just so full um, and so overflowing. That's even why we are just decided to sit down and talk. We are currently in Coeur d'Alene, um, just enjoying a slow morning. Um, but 
Yeah. So this weekend, Laura, what, what was perhaps some takeaways for you? So we flew into um, the Idaho area and ended up in Moscow at the Grace Agenda Conference, which I would highly recommend. Um, and you can go back and should they should post the um, different talks. Yeah, they do. And um, be able to bring bring you up to speed on that. But I think for me, the immersive effect of being around like-minded Christians has been so spiritually strengthening. Um, there's there's also been a hollowing out of so much of Christian culture, uh, where really we don't look very distinct from the world, mm-hmm. and um, and I love the church, and so I want its flourishing mm-hmm. and its strengthening and. I want to take that gold and put it back yeah. in the area where it should be, put it back in the temple. Um, mm. I want the church to um, just really flourish. And so I feel like we've gotten a small power packed taste <laughs> of what it's almost like we've been given a protein pill of, of spiritual nourishment through true uh, mm-hmm. church community yeah. here. And what I wanted to say is, juxtaposed to that or or maybe laid over the top of that has been you and I have been journeying through the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Mm -hmm. And so it's been interesting that in Ezra and Nehemiah, we know that they're um, coming back with the task of recovering all aspects of worship, the world of worship. Mm -hmm. And um, so what's been interesting with that is, I've just jotted this down this morning, that it's almost like in um, Ezra and Nehemiah that they were tasked with recovering right worship which resulted in the resurgence of joy Mm. and Mm. boy have we experienced Mm. that here it's the most joy filled glad hearted people uh, far from it being some kind of dour (laughs) strange enfolding of like minded people it is a glorious expression of joy resounding from the mouths, hearts, faces, countenances uh, of every generational expression yeah. that we come in contact with. And I think even last night we were able to go to a local congregation here in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, um, with Trinity Church. And I don't think that's the full name of the church. But anyway, we were just in a backyard singing psalms um, in four-part harmony um, with elementary, middle, high school young 20s, early 30s, up to 60s, 70s, everyone shoulder to shoulder singing their part and praising the Lord through his word. And yeah, it's it's something they do periodically called savoring the, um, the Psalms. And um, in the providence of God, we, we were so built up over the weekend in Moscow with seeing such robust worship to then come to Coeur d'Alene and to providentially get caught up in this backyard thing. Um, but the eagerness, I was just watching the middle school boys mm-hmm. and they had these songs memorized and they were full heartedly giving themselves to singing this. Um, it, it wasn't the kids going to do their thing while the adults sing some psalms. It was the entire church gladly giving themselves to that. And I actually have a little clip. Um, I've been doing some voice memos throughout the weekend to try to get uh, lasso some of this to take back home. But here's it a clip of them singing just in their backyard. Through my word, 
that was just a total and unexpected delight to be a part of. Well, and then um, the experience that we had uh, worshiping with the saints at Christ Church on Sunday morning was, it'll go down. I can think of times that I was in Moody Church and it felt amazing. Mm -hmm. And this will go down like that in my mind, just worshiping with the saints in four-part harmony, um, in spirit and in truth. It was just like what I just said about the task of Ezra and Nehemiah, recovering right worship and the resurgence of joy. It, it's really been wonderful. Yeah, and I think it, the Lord has really been conv- convincing, perhaps convicting us, even as we plant Pilgrim Hill, of how much we need um, to be a part of a reformation of worship. Um, where worship really is an essential part of the warfare of the saints. And to see um, the fruit of decades now of working to recover worship was just such a treat to get caught up in. Mm -hmm. Um, And you really, it is its own apologetic. When you Mm -hmm. experience the saints singing with their own parts, knowing what their, their peculiar glory to the congregation, singing to each other, mm-hmm. um, edifying, teaching each other. It is so powerful and you can feel your soul just welling up and you realize, oh, this isn't just an interesting byproduct. This is the telos of worship. Mm-hmm. That's why God is so big. That's why we have 150 Psalms. That's why singing was um, such a central part of Israel's um, life was because it is a powerful thing when the saints of God sing the songs of God mm-hmm. together with skill and with beauty um, and with order. And um, it was remarkable. Um, and so I actually did a little voice memo from our, our worship service time as well. This is just the iPhone on the seat while we were singing uh, a little bit at, at Christ Church. Just um, an incredible treat um, and um, just gave us a picture for what we long to be about, be about and long to help cultivate. Um, and yeah. So yeah, and I think we both are staring that down like maybe perhaps it's an Everest, but, um, but at the same time going, I want to do this. I want to climb Everest. And yeah. so, it's like, well, if they can do it, we can do it. Yeah. So, and, and to, to realize God is doing it. Right. Like we, we are, God really is doing a, a, a reformation in the church right now. Right. And how exciting to see it and to realize you've been called up into that. Um, so I'm pursuing ordination in the CREC, the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, and it really was just a couple weeks ago that I was able to articulate why that specific denomination. I've obviously had multiple people ask, so why did you land there? And, and 
firstly, I, I have become um, Presbyterian and, and Paedo-Baptist and post-millennial, um, and that's part of the texture of the CREC, but they also give full fellowship to our um, Baptistic brethren, which is incredibly important to me. I, I want to have unity there, even where we land conscience-wise in, in different places. Pilgrim Hill is, is made up of both, um, and there are not different tiers of saints. We are, we are all one in the body. And so I, I love the ecumenical impulse there. But what came to my mind that was just hiding in plain sight is they, they are part of, of a reformation on purpose, that there is a reformational texture to what's happening where they are really per- pursuing this, this recovery of robust worship, this recovery of family-centered um, worship services, this recovery of the confessions and the catechisms. Um, and it's beautiful and it's strengthening and, and it's what I, I want us to be a part of. And so mm-hmm. um, it was helpful to get clarity even more this weekend of, oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. That's why we want to be caught up in this. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Would you read that um, passage out of Nehemiah? I think it's Nehemiah 12, yes. 43. And this is a part where they're dedicating... Um, some parts of Jerusalem to the Lord and they've dis- yeah the wall specifically that, that they've been been building on and they are um, splitting up the choirs you go here you go here and we're gonna rejoice and I just think this little touch of commentary is so encouraging yeah so this is Nehemiah 12 and it says uh, verse 43 and they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard from far away. That's right. And I just think that um, the joy of the church sounding forth is going to be a very powerful, potent apologetic as things do press in things are getting darker and heavier it does seem then i think just the light of christ beaming from our souls because we are we have a glorious inheritance we have every reason to rejoice and uh, when children and moms and dads and everyone is uh, praising the lord continually with their mouth i think that um it's going to be the shining city on the hill that that it should be Mm -hmm. and that as as jesus christ is lifted up all men will run toward that run toward the light um yeah so yeah i feel like our conversation about our experience here hasn't been very linear which you know i like the one two three (laughs) like here's where i'm headed and then we actually attack those but um part of the swirling nature of our conversation is really feeling like you've been caught up into something that a great cloud of witnesses right exactly that's been delightful so i'm trying to think if there's anything else um well so we got we also got the joy of attending a pre-conference on uh friday morning and um the ladies that spoke focused on uh the fear of god and um that was such a good and timely message um, to to start with. What what does Scripture say about fearing God? And um, uh, Nancy Wilson just did a survey of several passages of Scripture about the blessing that comes from fearing the Lord. 
And it was really good for her just to un- unlock the scriptures there on that. And then um, one of the What Have You Girls, Rebecca Merkel, then spoke on um, fear of man. Um, they spoke on fear of man and um, p- particularly the proverb that talks about how the fear of man is a snare, but the fear of God is a safe harbor for us. And then navigating our times um, from that framework of where are you fearing man and where are you fearing God? And if you're tempted to fear man to play it safe, how really that is leading you into a trap according to the scripture. So that was really good. Mm-hmm. And then the third aspect to kind of fill up that uh, two-tiered framework, fear of God, fear of man, was um, just an exhortation to be strong and courageous, to be steadfast and immovable. Um and to do the work of obeying God with joy. And so I just left there ready to take on whatever comes our way, um, trusting that the Lord is a strong tower for his people. Amen. Amen. Um, so uh, I went to the men's pre-conference, conference as it were, and the four talks were... Um, uh, the man and his wife, the man and his children, the man and his work, and the man and his church. Um, and again, I um, would recommend all of those. I, I'd imagine they do make those live. Um, but I was, of course, so many takeaways, but one in particular on the man and his children that I'll just highlight. It was by um, Dr. Ben Merkel, who is the president of New St. Andrews College. And he was talking about um, the importance of our children being absolutely confirmed and saturated in our love and delight, how that is so essential and how, especially when we have teenagers, we have so much, we have so much hard won um, lessons from stupidity (laughs) that we so want to give to them, right? This is even the Proverbs, the the father pleading, um, that we, we can sometimes Put the highlighter on that, which can lead to frustration because they don't get it quick enough. Like here, keep learn these lessons from me because I can save you from stupidity and and you keep doing stupid things that I can stop you from. Um, where if we see that as the first thing that we need to do, namely give them all this wisdom that we have, if that's the most important thing, then that the dynamic can can tend towards frustration and for them to just constantly feel like they aren't measuring up or that they are just being hounded all the time when really we, we need to remember their frame. Every teenager has to go through what teenagers go through mm-hmm. and have to learn things themselves. But better to remember that what they really need, the first principle of parenting, is to con- make sure they are thoroughly confirmed in our delight of just who they are because they are, because they are our children. Um, and he um, went to the baptism of Christ, of course, where we see the father pronouncing over Christ, this is my son, and I'm, I'm so pleased in who he is. And uh, he made the point that, f- especially fathers will sometimes say, I'm just not the emotional type. Like they, 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 of course I love them. I, 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 I change their tire. What else do they need? Um, and he said, if there, if there was ever a relationship that love and pleasure could have been assumed, it would have been in the eternal fellowship of the Trinity, right? Um, the incarnate son of God didn't need the father to say, I love you. 
Um, they've existed forever in, in a life of love. Um, but no, he didn't. That's why the father spoke over him. I am so pleased in who you are. I love who you are. Um, and that was just wonderful to hear that again. I, I have heard that again before and it was good to hear again. But something I, he said that I, I hadn't thought of is how the, the picture scripture gives us of um, the, the end of days before the, the new heavens and new earth are firmly established, when the kingdom has finally come on this earth and the sun, also all the nations have been brought into submission under the footstool of Jesus Christ. The picture we get in 1 Corinthians 15 um, it is Christ presenting it to the Father. Mm-hmm. Um, and how the, the final note on this story before the life to come is the Father saying to the Son, I'm so proud of what you've accomplished. And how that, that is the overarching story that's being told. It's culminating in the Father's pleasure in what the Son has done. And how that is so knit into the fabric of our world um, and how as fathers and, of course, as mothers, but he was speaking to dads. Um, and, and it is important, a father's love, this is a, a point he made, a father's love cannot be outsourced to, to the mother or to a coach or to teachers. Only a father can give a father's love. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, it was even father-specific in, in that way. Um, but just wonderful and was so thankful, again, to, to see the fruit of their faithfulness in Moscow. Even Ben's son, he was leading music for us and had that keenness and brightness of eye. And, and so, so to, to see um, the fruit of what he was teaching us in, I think he has maybe five children, mm-hmm. and how they were serving and, and just happy warriors. And it was a beautiful thing. Um, so Well, yeah. and one thing I'll, I'll add to that in talking about um, growing in delight for your children. Um, I have kind of taken the approach with parenting of like the fussy mom approach, like, you know, don't do this and don't do that. And, um, just so that the, the fear and the goal there in my mind has been, I want them to know how to conduct themselves out in the world, you know, like how to treat other people and that they need to know all these things. And um, it's just been recently through really the discipleship of the What Have You podcasters, uh, Rebecca Merkel and Rachel Jankovich, that they've really helped me to see the other side of the coin. I mean, you can take the fussy mom approach and your kids will know the propriety of sitting on couches and not touching made beds. But um, really the delight and joy in children mm-hmm. um, in knitting hearts together and preserving fellowship is really a far better thing than uh, perhaps even the propriety that you're instilling in your kids. Um, I, w- I don't want them to be s- slobbish in public, but I don't think that it's a necessary this for that kind of exchange right. either. And um, and my influence over them could be far greater is what I've become convinced of if there was deep fellowship. And so an, an example that I was able to share with Rebecca Merkel this weekend that was so fun was you have given me license to allow my big six foot two or three 17 year old boy to flop on my freshly made bed in the mornings to talk to me. Right. What a blessing. Right. And what a blessing. And what I mean by that is ordinarily I would say, um, you know, get off my bed. I just made it. Or, you know, that's just, that would be my impulse. It's like, what are you thinking? You don't do that. 
um, you need to know your wife's going to be so annoyed when you do that. And just, you know, to just chide him and stay, you know, stay on him. And instead, it's just helped me to be like, I'm so glad you're in here talking to me. And leave it at that. And um, so that's just a mom tip. If you're finding yourself constantly in conflict with your teenager, um, don't make it about messing up a made bed. Um, Yeah, so that's just something I've had to grow in. Well, And and of of course he says, this doesn't mean that you don't discipline and have standards, um, uh, of course, and and instruct them. Um, But not to... Uh, exasperate and, and, and how part of the hidden wisdom here is obedience is a function of loyalty mm-hmm. and loyalty is a function of relationship. Mm-hmm. And so if you keep the relationship warm and, and even playful or lighthearted in, in a sense, um, and you're not hounding them, that's when they actually will come to you and ask you, so how do I do this? Um, but if, if you feel like you're the main point of parenting is to make sure that they don't do all the stupid things you did, um, that they will probably just recoil and tune you out once you start going at them again. So. Yeah. And a word for moms too, I think a good test for whether or not you should change it up on your kids is if your primary impulse when that big kid lays down on your freshly made bed is to fuss them and shoo them away rather than to bring them in in conversation, you probably should switch it up. Mm -hmm. If you've never told your kids, you know, don't climb on somebody's made bed, you might ought to tell them that, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Prepare them for the future in that way. Your relationship is probably very great with your children. Um, You might ought to tell them how to behave in the world. But I think for me, my primary impulse is always like, fussy preparation with propriety and all this stuff and not I'm not relationally focused primarily and so this adjustment has been very strengthening in our home mm-hmm. yeah yeah and, and, and even the expression you know I'm going back to what's his name Glorfindel I think how he had bright keen eyes even when we engage with our, our kids to don't do it with a scowl but do it with a, a twinkle mm-hmm. and, and a keenness in our eye a brightness in our eyes that communicates delight, um, and 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 to pray um, that the Lord would fill our hearts with love for our children. Of course, we love our children, but sometimes they're hard to hard, hard, hard to love. Um, life's yeah. Um, so pray that the Lord would stir fresh waters of love and delight, and just to be amazed at the marvel of being a parent, to having children that the Lord gave you that came from your very body that you get to pour into and get to love mm-hmm. and delight in. Um, so, yeah. Um, well, um, we just thank God for the, this weekend. We're so edified and eager to grow in, in our worship and in our singing and, and in all of life, just being lived before the face of God. And we encourage you in that. Um, and I, one thing really quickly, just... Music-wise, I've been really um, uh, edified by Gregory Wilbur's stuff on Spotify. Um, he's the chief musician at Cornerstone Church. Um, and there's a album of um, parish Presbyterian songs. And so just pull up uh, some of that. If you've never sang songs or um, that would be a new world, that's a really wonderful entry point into that. And I, I praise God for, for his music, his ministry. Um, but... Let me pray for us. Okay. 
Father in heaven, we are so thankful for this moment right now in Coeur d'Alene, uh, the fresh breeze blowing through this apartment, the gift um, of marriage, the gift of technology where we can balance these thoughts um, together and um, knowing some of our friends will, will hear. And Father, we, we pray with earnest hearts that you would cause a great reformation to spread over um, our country and over the church that we would recover robust, joyful, reverent worship to you, um, and that the Holy Spirit would give us um, keenness and brightness of eyes, where we are fearless and we are joyful, and we are happy warriors taking ground for the kingdom of God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I, I have a special um, outro for you. It won't be God works in myster- or God moves in a mysterious way. But uh, one other clip from this weekend, we learned a, uh, a sea shanty based on, was it Isaiah 9? 8. 8. eight. Okay, eight. based on Isaiah 8. So enjoy part of the sea shanty that we learned. They don't see this word, they have no light at all.